you know, you get like best life insurance for seniors. It's doing great. It's ranking. It's converting higher in the funnel. And then you look in HubSpot mix panel and it's doing absolutely nothing because our target market is not seniors. People are getting flagged for risk assessment and they just can't convert later down the funnel. So that's like a negative signal. We all strive for more nowadays, more traffic, more revenue, more growth. In this never-ending battle for more, it's easy to forget what's important. So what is important? Building real relationships with real humans and trying to be better each day without caring quite so much about getting more. After all, by building real and meaningful relationships, you'll have way more than you ever need. The SaaS SEO Show is a platform for meaningful connections and honest conversations with people who are real, hardworking practitioners and high performers in the SaaS industry. We're here to learn and get inspired by them, and we hope you do too. Now, here's your host, George Cassiotis. Before we jump into today's episode, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. And now, back to today's episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the SaaS SEO Show. I'm your host, George Cassiotis, and today I'm very happy and excited to be joined by Bronwyn Kinapol, the Director of Content Marketing and Policy Me. Um, she has also worked at uh, Vengage and Frasbooks, uh, which are two very popular uh, B2B SaaS companies. Her specialty is growing SEO as an acquisition channel for small to medium startups and building visibility in high competition industries. Her passion is creating EAT-focused content, which is something that we will uh, discuss uh, later on at scale, that delivers incredible value to readers, no matter how tough the subject matter uh, is. Bronwyn, welcome to the SaaS SEO Show. Thank you. I'm, I'm- Glad to be here. That intro made me sound really uh, like I know what I'm talking about. So I'm excited about that. (laughs) I can't write it myself. (laughs) You know, you know, you know what you're talking about. This is why we have you here and we are excited about this episode. So as we do with every uh, guest here at the Sassio, so I would like to ask you to share a couple of things about you, uh, your background, uh, just so we can understand how you are uh, at this, you know, position that you are today and how you do the things that you do. Yeah, so I mean, I'm not like a traditional SEO. Um, I come from a writing background. Um, I did work in marketing for years um, at a, a major uh, publishing company. Um, and, um, you know, I lived abroad for a number of years and uh, built my own writing business, uh, both like ghostwriting fiction, uh, business writing, and um, you know, all different types of writing. Um, so I really didn't get into tech until 2018. Um, and that's when I got hired at Fresh Books for a three, four month contract uh, just to write SEO blog posts every day, five days a week, three to four posts a day. Um, and actually, that was when Steve Toth was still there. Um, we all know 
Steve probably from SEO Notebook. Um, so couldn't have been a better way to kind of be introduced to SEO and, and marry my like writing background with his SEO expertise and, you know, writing for SEO blog posts a day for three, four months will like make you really sharp. Um, so that was an incredible um, introduction. And, um, and after that, I moved to Vengage uh, as a writer, but quickly like learned the ropes in SEO. Um, you know, SEO is their major acquisition channel, bootstrapped company, no money to throw around at things like we had to figure out some really interesting tactics, um, especially in like a space that was dominated by big players like Canva, uh, who obviously have a lot more money, <laughs> how to be like noticed in the SERPs, how to rank. Um, and I think they're one of the best at, uh, at that. And, uh, you know, I really learned a lot from them that I could then carry on to my current role at, at Policy Me, which is a also a smaller startup. Both of these companies were very focused. I happen to like know uh, both companies and kind of monitor them over the years. And I know that both of them are and also compete with them uh, for some of our own clients. But that's a different story. Uh, but I guess that both of them were very, very focused on uh, like content for a search audience. So I think that yeah. this has been a great introduction for you, as, as you mentioned, first at FreshBooks and then at, uh, at Vengage. Uh, but today you are um, at uh, Policy Me. For people who have never heard, of, you know, of Policy Me, could you please say a couple of things about it? Um, what the company does? Uh, what's the typical customer, and who gets the most value? Sure. Yeah. So we're just in Canada right now, which is where I am. Um, so we're an online insurance solution. Uh, so you know, insurance typically dominated by all the big banks um, and you know, brick and mortar, uh, very traditional type of industry. Um, you know, our founders, two of the three were like consultants to Fortune 500 insurance companies. So very intimate knowledge of, of how insurance works and basically took all of the like hoops and extras that insurance doesn't need and built like incredible technology online to do our risk assessment. So, you know, the process is not drawn out and excruciating. It's online. It's secure. We can properly assess your risk to give you the best price. Um, and, uh, you know, we just focus on term life insurance. The moment we're launching another product, Critical Illness, um, next month, and we just closed our Series A. Um, and so our announcement, uh, yeah, um, people may have seen that, you know, we're investigating several large B2B2C partnerships. Um, and uh, so that will be announced in 2023 and also new products uh, will be launched. So we're really starting to scale up our, our product suite and, um, you know, offer a customer who, you know, there's the thing about us is that we'll tell you if we don't need life insurance. Um, so, but we'll tell you if you do. So if you have dependents in your life, people depend on you financially, We'll tell you how much you need, exactly how much you meet, need, not more than that. Um, and, um, you know, the customer who comes to us is somebody who is probably a parent. They probably have a mortgage or other debts in their life. They're probably around 35, 45 years old, urban. Um, and uh, but the thing is, like a customer who might be really comfortable buying like a flight online is not necessarily still going to be as comfortable buying their life insurance online. Like, 
you can't just be like, oh, everybody's online now. It doesn't work that way. It's like with wills and other like major legal documents, there's still some hesitation. So that's where I come in. There's a lot of education that needs to happen around like why you can and should do your life insurance online and, and why it's actually safe and, and beneficial. And I guess this brings me to the first question I had for you, which is policy operates in the very traditional industry of insurance. Mm. I assume people are used to a specific way of buying insurance. Uh, mm. I don't know if that ways or one of that these ways is online, but I'd like mm. to know how difficult it is to enter that industry and offer an alternative way of uh, doing things or buying uh, something like insurance online. Yeah, well, there's two things at play here. There's the customer mindset. And then there's the like, and I know you're going to want to get into this, your money, your life um, category. And in, in that respect, like a lot of the big banks have that credibility baked in. And so they can rank with whatever not great content they put up there. They just have that authority built up and it, it's very hard to enter that space because of that. You have to be very, very smart and wily to to get in a foothold in that kind of environment. Um, as for like the consumer, I mean, yes, people are used to buying from brokers, um, from big banks. Um, you know, they're told that that's like the safest way to do things and there's just not a lot of knowledge that these people are commissioned. They may sell you a product that you don't need, um, like permanent life insurance. So like it's it's a delicate balance between using our content to educate our philosophy and also like make sure people get the information they're coming for. I don't wanna beat anybody over the head with how we do things, but you know, I, it's a balance. You mentioned uh, your money, your life, and this brings you to the, the second question I had for you. Um, we could say that uh, a lot of your content or the, the category that you operate in uh, in general uh, is referred to as um, your money, your life. Okay, And I'd like to connect that to EAT that we mentioned in the introduction of this, uh, this, this episode and ask how you manage to demonstrate expertise, uh, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness uh, through your content, which is something necessary, you know, if we think that, it, it, like, people are buying insurance, which is not as easy as buying a physical product or something like that. Uh, so how, uh, my question would be, how do you manage to do that uh, through your content? Yeah, I mean, I we have some wonderful um, in-house advisors, um, and I have a call with them every week um and you know i'll go through the piece a piece myself with them especially if it's a really critical piece to us um you know one thing that people always forget is to like answer the freaking question that the person has so for example like we were creating a piece like how much does life insurance cost um and you know, you'd be surprised nobody answers the question like life insurance in Canada costs approximately like 15 to $100. Like, and that's like the secret sauce because I went, it was that answer wasn't online. It's, it's hard to find that information. So I asked, okay, in your experience, what's a general range for term life insurance? It's going to cost between X and Y generally. So they could give me the answer to that question. And then that answer um, appeared in a whole bunch of featured snippets um, across different long tails because 
that information was not available online. Um, and, you know, I have insider experts who, who can give me that information. So I, I rely heavily on them either to give me that or to have a jumping off point to, to do further uh, research. Um, so that's, that's baked into our process is, is having their expertise. Um, and I think that differentiates us from all the other content in our competitors, which is, you know, largely regurgitated, very SEO uh, optimized, uh, overly SEO optimized. Um, you know, I'm trying to answer questions. So I, I don't know if this is the question. This question is answerable. But why do you think is that other websites or brands companies don't answer questions like this? Is it because they they want to like kind of get people to I don't know um, share their personal details uh, to get a quote or something. Uh, they have a different approach, which doesn't really make sense for Google. So you will not get uh, real estate in the serps. Why? Why do you think uh, is that? I mean, there's a few things like you know, there's the overarching trend of like people want to create the most in-depth, authoritative content known to man, and you get these monolith blog posts that are like. 4,000, 5,000, 6,000 words. And like a blog post that's like, well, how much does life insurance cost in Canada might start like, what is life insurance? How does life insurance work? Like, and then like the cost is like buried in there somewhere because I don't know, maybe they use a tool like phrase and they just like aggregate all the different headers from the competition. And then they're like, well, this like seems like a natural progression of information. Uh, but <clears throat> you know, I try to think of things like in journalism, you have the inverted pyramid, right? So you've got to stack all the most critical information at the top and then you build down. Um, <clears throat> and I think of the same in SEO that, you know, you, you directly answer the question up front and then you start like answering the other supporting questions according to like how important they are, um, to the reader after that. And I think people forget about that either because they're just like, they're, they're looking at, for example, you might be looking at a competitor like Investopedia. I've made this mistake before. They're ranking number one, right? They have a DR of 8,020. I mean, it's like anyone, but like <laughs> what Investopedia is doing is like, they may be doing that where they answer like, what is life insurance? How does it work? And they can get away with that because of their domain authority. But you as like a scrappier company who doesn't have that domain authority, you can't play Investopedia's game. Like you have to be better than them. You have to like stack the answer at the top, you know, answer the H2. How much is life insurance in Canada? Life insurance in Canada costs approximately 15 to $100. Like you have to be a lot smarter than them to to beat them don't follow the um don't follow the pattern of companies which are not in your league because they have a unique advantage i i like that and i can also attest to that uh, we uh, a few months ago we we did an update for uh, one of our clients blog posts a, a pretty significant significant one for them uh, which was targeting the keyword app development cost and so what we did is that Essentially, we gave a range. Uh, it was uh, like three uh, bullet points with a range like uh, mm -hmm. small, medium, high, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. And it like completely uh, crossed everything, uh, everything else. And like it has a traffic value of around 80K and, uh, according to HRS. And I think that the reason why this works so well is because, as you mentioned, the, the point that you made is very critical. 
just give the answer you know when people ask what is the, <laughs> the cost just give them a range this is what they want and yeah. at the same time this is what google wants because like yeah. google wants to give the most relevant answer so i think yeah. that this is a very important point i would like to uh, i have a follow-up question regarding um this like your money your life uh this eat uh integration let's say inside your content um mm -hmm. Uh, one thing I like about your blog is your uh, peer reviewed by and a name uh, note at the top of uh, some posts. Uh, my question is, how can you manage to get these peer reviews at scale? Do you get them for every post that you publish or just for a few selected posts that are important to you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I simply cannot force our advisors to look at every single piece I have. Um, and not every piece needs it. Like if a SERP is um, a lot more <clears throat> lower competition, um, if I can rely on external uh, sources instead, um, I just reserve this for the most competitive uh, SERPs. Um, and, um, you know, we have a wonderful COO who manages our advisor team. She's very invested in SEO. Uh, we have a notion board. So, you know, when we have some pieces that are coming up, essentially I'll just put the link in. I'll be like, can you just review this, especially if it's being updated? Can you review this? Let me know if there's anything out of date that's not right. Um, any hot takes you have on any of this, anything we might be missing, just give me a couple points. Um, and then they can just write it in there. And then I take that information and I just give it directly to the writer. So I'm like, okay, this is like the SME information, you know, please like transpose it in here, whether a direct quote or just work it in. Um, so we have, we have that system. Um, and we're trying to scale that up as we're trying to produce more content, newer con new content. Um, you know, it's, it's always going to be tough, but that system works for now. So I, I always have my weekly calls where I can like pin them and be like, listen, like I need a specific answer to this. Like, let's all put our heads together for like the very like most critical pieces. Oh, okay. Okay. That makes perfect sense. Um, I'd like to stay on the topic of content creation a bit and discuss creating content for a search audience, which, which is something that you do, uh, very, very well. Um, I would like to, to know what's your approach to content creation for a search audience and how do you ensure that your content is created for human beings and not, uh, search engines? You, like you mentioned a couple of things that you give the answer, try to, to, to stay on the topic and so on. Uh, mm -hmm. are, is there anything else that you can share with us that you have seen um, work not only here at Policy Me but um, mm -hmm. in your previous roles at uh, Vengage and Freshbooks? Yeah, yeah. I think part of it is like, uh, don't be afraid for your content to be ugly. <laughs> Meaning, like it, it can be like beguiling to fill your content with like random images, videos, uh, charts, uh, fancy formatting. Um, you know, I learned the hard way that whatever might look good on desktop looks like the dog's breakfast on mobile and like more than 50% of our organic traffic comes from mobile. So I've had definitely had to think more mobile first. And that means scaling down a lot of the fancy stuff, uh, that I, I wanted to do. So like having an elaborate header image, um, having like a lot of images, cause I come from a design software company, right? It was very image heavy and I've had to reevaluate, like, what are the images that actually serve 
the reader? Um, do they just want text? The text is fine as long as it's formatted correctly. Um, like keep things tight on mobile. Like, do you really need to have a vanity introduction about your philosophy to whatever? Does the reader actually need that? Probably not. Keep your table of contents tight. Like, I know we all want to keyword stuff our, our jump links, but like just put in the major ones that you think people will want, like go on Hotjar later, see which ones people are actually clicking on, eliminate the ones they aren't. Um, you know, that's super important. And then H2, answer the question directly using the same phrasing, and then like figure out from there, what else does the person need? And you have to balance that with like a chart can be great, but if it's an image, then like Google can't read it it may look terrible on mobile. So like go for simple, simple, simple images. Don't get crazy complicated with your charts. I've done that. They you know, just, it looks bad. Simple is key. Um, and like keep your formatting really, really simple and light um, and easy to skim, you know, and make sure like your headings should tell their own story, right? Like the headings should be very cohesive. Like if somebody's skimming, it should make sense like okay this topic this subheading this subheading this topic this subheading i often see like people don't read the headings as like and by people i mean like editors seos as like its own mini blog post um and any like text you're you're bolding or calling out should answer the question in the heading so when people are skimming like everything is relevant I've seen time and time again that like call out text has nothing to do with the heading and it's just confusing. It's it makes for a bad experience for the reader. Um, and I guess, you know, bolded text also attracts Google. So you have to be careful what you're bolding. Um, so that's I just try to keep in mind the user experience. I do rely heavily on Hotjar after I've published just to see how people are interacting with the page, uh, where they lose interest, um, you know, if there's no movement or you know, people are not like clicking or anything within a section, maybe I'll move it out um, and move it down or, or get rid of it. So simplicity is, is key. Don't get overexcited and, and crowd your, your content with vanity uh, stuff. You know, a video may not always serve a purpose. Uh, so make sure it's there for, for a reason. That's that's great. Uh, that's a great answer. Like uh, many, many good points there. Uh, mobile, uh, like, checking which um like what i would call information hierarchy i don't know if, yep. if this is a good term yep. uh, also okay. making sure that people actually get value from the uh the sections that you have added uh, so i i really like many of the points that you made there um one thing i i really liked on your website also is uh, your policy me reviews page, which uh, runs for the term policy me reviews, uh, instead of letting review or affiliate sites, um, quote unquote, steal that branded traffic and ask for commission to send it back to you. Uh, can you can you speak about that page a bit? Because this is something that we uh, almost always advise to our clients when they've reached a level where people are, you know, looking for reviews based on their their brand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that precedes me. Um, you know, the first iteration was just like a widget from we have reviews.io. So it was just an embedded widget and and that was it. Um 
I, I created a new version, which we're currently A-B testing, where I curate the reviews by, um, by pain point um, objection, I guess. So the first is the most critical price. Then it's like, how easy is this thing to use? Then it's like, how trustworthy are these people? Um, am I going to be able to get life insurance if I'm not 30 year old, 30 years old and perfectly healthy? Like, so I've tried and it, it seems to be uh, beating out the original just because it more directly answers um, people's objections um, instead of just having like a date, like recent date. Uh, but anyway, it's yeah, it's been up so long that it it's ranking and, you know, we, we own that uh, that real estate. So that's that's a good point. That's a good point. Uh, I will get back to content and um, like uh, approach things a bit differently this time. You have more than 120 uh, posts on your blog, um, which I think is a point where you should start caring about updating and refreshing your, your content. Could you mm -hmm. speak about your process and workflows regarding content auditing and updating? Uh, is that something that you know you uh, you do? And if yes, do you have anything that you can share with us? Oh yeah, I mean at Vengage, like our bread and butter was updates. Like we had a core list of content that was critical to our revenue, and you know we kept a very sharp eye on the rankings. You know if things were slipping, we built backlinks to it. If they started slipping more, like we looked at whether we needed to make an update. And um, I still follow that philosophy, um, and I try to make sure that like some updates just need to be a light touch. Uh, maybe you reorganize you, you put a section bring it up um or just like keyword optimize sometimes you're gonna have to do a complete overhaul it's important to know which is necessary uh because you don't want to spend three days on something that only required a little bit of fiddling um so be sure like how much of an update you need but i've carried that same philosophy over like there's a lot of noise on our site because there's a lot of content from before i came in that's like very low intent traffic but high like what is bmo's routing number for example um and i just completely ignore all of that stuff um so i keep a very tight focus on what's actually converting so you know i always look at ga just like by our conversion goal um and then i also keep a very close eye on how it converts down the funnel. Um, so, you know, you get like best life insurance for seniors. It's doing great. It's ranking. It's converting higher in the funnel. And then you look in HubSpot mix panel and it's doing absolutely nothing because our target market is not seniors. People are getting flagged for, for risk assessment and they just can't convert later down the funnel. So that's like a negative signal. So it's a false positive. So, you know, I keep a very close eye on not only what's like ranking and converting, but converting later on in the funnel consistently. And then, you know, my question is like, okay, these are our core pieces that narrows it down a lot. There's not a lot of pieces, which are like, I call them my unicorns. Um, there's only about five that I really, really care about. Um, and I just keep a very close eye on uh, the rankings on a weekly basis. Um, probably too close an eye, I drive myself a little crazy. Um, and, you know, I really just try to understand, like, what are our competitors doing? What have they changed? Why did they go up? Um, is there something they're still missing where we can add value? Um, is this to do with a core update? Like, why would they have benefited or we did? 
um, it becomes easy to like stay focused if, if you really know what's driving revenue um, for your business. It just narrows things down. So yeah. uh, but we, we try to like either do some form of an update for at least those five pieces every quarter. In fact, I would argue that being so revenue focused can kind of make you like too risk adverse. You become highly, highly focused on your unicorns and you kind of lose sight of like, okay, well, but I have to scale organic traffic in the long term. Like I have to test, I have to try new verticals. Um, and so it's a delicate balance. I become obsessed with, with updating uh, almost to the point of ignoring the scaling so balancing both of them is is tough yeah i get it and i like your point i mean uh taking a look at and monitoring like the lead to conversion rate is is important of course but also it's what happens after someone converts that um uh, mm. like what keywords or pages um generate the customers with the highest LTV, for example, um, mm. and so on and so forth. There are so many things that you can uh, like, you can really dive deep into analytics and uh, try to figure out the best paths and so on and so forth. So this is a very mm. important point, and I'm glad that you brought that up. Uh, now, we, we talk a lot about content and the truth is to, to write great content, you need great writers and writing mm. about insurance isn't as easy as writing about something more general like digital marketing. Uh, I'd like to know how you find, qualify and retain good content writers. Yeah, I know people are in like two camps. They're like, you should have an SME or you should have like, you know, just a writer. Um, and I am very anti SME writers. I've, I've tried that at Bengage. Um, you know, they just don't know how to write for SEO and for business. And it just does not translate. I will never go that route anymore. Uh, that's why I don't have our like insurance advisors writing our content. <laughs> like, so I prefer to like, you know, I go to my network, I see people, I, choose people that other people trust. Um, and it's important to have a really good writer onboarding system because let's be real, writers come and go, you know, they find full-time jobs, like they just disappear into the abyss, um, you know, it happens. So have like a really good onboarding process. And I'm lucky to have a great managing editor, Helen, who um, has built this whole process. Um, so, you know, we have a robust document with all of like about our company, all of our positioning, and what we believe in. Um, we have, uh, you know, a style guide. Uh, we use templates in, in Webflow. So the writer works directly in Webflow and all the headings are laid out already. So they know exactly how it should be formatted. Um, you know, we have extensive checklists. We use Trello. Um, so it's like, this is your editorial part, your SEO part, like they have to check off everything, um, and check all of these items, um, before they can submit. So we have a pretty tightly controlled process to take these writers who are not insurance people and like get the best we can. I believe if you're a good writer, you can write about anything. Um, so you just need the proper like guidelines, the inputs in terms of like, uh, SME knowledge like i can point you to studies or articles i think you should check out etc so that's kind of the route to so you take. have it so you have a system and you bring uh in someone and kind of you you set them up for success like uh yeah. you don't expect them to do uh, everything themselves like you you guide them through the whole process 
Yeah, and we have a very um, robust, uh, probably too robust, uh, what's it called, content brief. Um, so, you know, we don't just give them keywords like we say, this is what the search intent is. This is what the audience is, is looking for. Um, these are the pain points. This is like the competitor research. This is what the um, other pages are doing that we can do better. We give them a lot of information and to be honest, like, we're moving a little bit away from that because we have to be a bit more lightweight and produce more content. So we're going to test like moving away from that. But in the past, we've been like, we've done a lot of the upfront work. So we make sure we get the quality we want. I'd like to discuss something uh, you wrote in uh, one of your uh, LinkedIn posts regarding uh, being reliant on SEO agencies. I assume you already <laughs> you already had a few experiences with agencies some of them bad some of them good my question yeah. is uh what would you advise uh, other directors of con marketing or even seo who may listen to this episode and think about hiring or an, an seo agency or want to better evaluate their current uh, agency yeah i mean i think it's difficult with some agencies. The agency model is tough, right? Because they want to onboard you, they want to impress you, but then they have other clients they have to onboard um, and you have to battle with their time and resources uh, going forward. So it's the whole model I find can be difficult. Um, and it depends what you expect out of it. Some people really want like a more, here's a month end report kind of thing like i expect a lot of transparency and like a, a working partnership um and i believe like your agency should be very upfront about what their retainers deliverables are like are they doing daily site checks that you are never going to hear about and are never going to be like you're never going to hear anything about any of this but this is something that they believe is part of their retainer and that they do every day and adds value so you should be very clear okay if, if you're this is your retainer this is what it involves um is it going to be scoping this uh pulling these reports providing this information like what does the retainer include like crack down on that and make sure like not only are they delivering on a monthly basis but they have a long-term vision they're building up towards like next quarter um that, that they're working in advance before the month starts they should already have a plan in place this is what we're doing this is when you will get it you can expect this and this on these dates um and they follow through so the transparency and proactiveness is critical they should be a partner you shouldn't be stuck with an account person who's just like listing your questions and then you hear from the main seo in a week like, I mean, that it depends what you want out of your agency, but, you know, SEO, like things change so quickly, like you really need a partner in it and they need to have the bandwidth to be able to work with you. Uh, demand more, demand better, uh, demand. <laughs> that's that's a that's a great yeah that, uh, I, I really like your 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 answer. And also it um, I, I would say it's aligned with many of the things that we uh, think of and uh, try to integrate um, in our way of doing things. For example, we used to, in the beginning, we used to have the, the typical retainer model, but yeah. I realized that it's it feels great when you sell that to the client and you close them and you know everyone is satisfied and so on and so forth. But yeah. let's be honest, uh, SEO, especially as SEO used to be done a couple of years ago where you we were talking about 
like tile tags and meta descriptions and so on and so forth, things that are less important nowadays, uh, mm -hmm. you kind of front load the work and then, you know, you're just leaving it there. Uh, and I happen to be connected with many people uh, and many of whom work with SEO agencies and a common concern and, and a, almost a pattern I see is that they tell me that after a while, I really wonder, you know, what they are doing. And so, <laughs> yeah, and, and this is a valid concern. And so, yeah. and so we changed that at some point, we realized that, you know what, in some cases, this may not work for the agency as well, because the client, if things are not clear, like these are the deliverables, the client may request more things. We, we have experienced that as well. So I think that the best way as, which is something that you mentioned as well, obviously transparency and like proactiveness and so on, but also very specific deliverables. Um, I don't think that nowadays deliverables are, you know, like tile tag opti optimization or something like that, because these things become less important. But having a very, very well-defined scope, uh, even if that means that like you, you will engage an agency for less time, you don't have to like engage an agency for 12 months. Like yeah. it can start with something less so that the scope is well defined and you can evaluate things better um i've seen that uh, this can can work better and at the same time at the end of mm -hmm. the month when like you will send the, the invoice the client is not going to wonder uh what what did we get from them this month because yeah. they they know that this is what we are paying for this is what we expect to get that's it you know yeah yeah you should never be wondering like well what did i really what was the six thousand dollars for <laughs> I was just for a call and like a, a PDF, like, and I think you're so right. Like SEO has changed so much. Um, you can't just apply like a cookie cutter approach anymore. Um, you can't be just like, here are some reports that I'm going to customize for you. Uh, you know, this is like this content audit that I do for everybody. I'm going to do it for you. Like, I think a lot of like the disconnect is like, as like agencies will provide a lot of reports and then like the the uh, the client is left wondering well how the heck do i execute this what is even critical here what is the thing i should be focusing on first how does this even align with my business like yeah. um there's that that disconnect between the reporting and the, the execution and i know a lot of seos will say like the best client is the client who pays and like doesn't complain um but as like the other i see this chatter in the facebook groups um uh but you know as somebody who's on the other side like critical it's a critical acquisition channel for us so like you know somebody who's a good client should have a lot of questions because there's a lot on the line i, I agree with you and we we really love to work with with educated clients and uh, regarding reporting uh, and I, I will say that and we can we can close this question so that we can move forward but regarding yeah. reporting I, like in the beginning, we used to do reports. Uh, and back then I was pretty much, you know, uh, it was pretty much myself with a couple of freelancers. So I was doing reports and I quickly realized that, you know what? No one reads these reports. Like you, you spend so much time actually doing them. The truth is that, uh, a busy, uh, CEO, for example, uh, that like wants to, uh, fundraise and, uh, has to grow the company and so on and so forth doesn't have the time to read this report but oh. instead what we do nowadays and this works tremendously well is that as you mentioned the, the 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 key word here is proactive communication we proactively communicate wins which is something that believe it or not 
our point of con points of conduct need as well, like because they need also to uh, ensure the internal buy-in and and so on. Uh, mm -hmm. So we communicate wins so that they know that okay, these these things happen, you know, and I can communicate them internally so that we can continue doing great things together. And also, when things are not going so well, let's say uh, again, we proactively communicate them. You know what? For example, there is a Google algorithm update. We expect these things, but let's see how the next two weeks will 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 go. And so, proactive communication is key, I think. And what we don't need, at least in my experience, is uh, you know twenty uh, page reports that no one is going to read. Um, with yeah, just to just to just to say that um, okay, we we did this report. We can send the invoice now uh, at the end of the month. Anyway, um, I guess <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I guess one of my last questions would be: in in your career, you've worked in SaaS companies that were heavily focused on SEO, as we mentioned in the beginning. And I would like to know uh, what are uh, were the biggest challenges and learnings you got from from these experiences. Um, I mean, I've learned uh, that if you're going to do a, a CMS migration, <laughs> like from we uh, WordPress to Webflow, you better have great technical SEO support. Um, you know, I did that at the beginning of my job at Policy Me, and uh, our search traffic tanked, frankly, uh, because the migration was not done correctly. I never knew incorrect URL structures could be such a headache. As I, I say, I'm not an SEO, and I was certainly not a technical SEO, and I know a lot more about it now. Um, but like, yeah, I've learned if you're going to do a migration, like you better have really, really good help uh, to make sure it's done correctly, or you're gonna see um, you're gonna see a big hit to your traffic, and it takes a while to get back up. Um, I spent a lot of time untangling uh, fires, uh, created by putting out fires from our migration, um, and I think a big part of that was like the the site hierarchy was not set up as well as it could have been. There wasn't a clear hierarchy at all, and like a lot of what I've been doing is trying to build these pillars like you know we didn't really have any sales pages we just had a lot of blog content so like you know we need a life insurance page and then you know slash life insurance slash term like build off that pillar with a term life insurance page a mortgage life insurance page like i really did not grasp before i came to policy me how important site architecture is and how clear it needs to be and and how like what the supporting content should be it should not cannibalize each other like i've been doing a lot of like redirects because we had a lot of duplicate content so having a very clear uh structure has been important and that's going to become even more critical as we add more products and uh, more languages that's also on the horizon because you know we have french in canada as well um and uh I've, I've experienced some of that because in, in Vengage we had, uh, you know, we had a Portuguese site, uh, Spanish, we're an international company. Um, so uh, keeping like your site architecture very clear, um, not only for usability of users, but Google, obviously. So uh, that's been, been a big challenge and finding the right content verticals that have enough juicy traffic that also align with your, your, your product. Um, you know, it's, it's easy to like see a vertical like 
permanent life insurance, uh, lots of traffic uh, potential, but like you don't sell that product, you don't believe in that product. So you could spend a lot of time getting traffic that's not going to convert. So, you know, where are the biggest traffic opportunities that have the potential to convert test um, first, like I did with life insurance for seniors was like, could we actually attract an older audience? The answer is no, like just look, you know, don't build out a whole cluster. The, the signal is going to tell you yes or no. Um, so that, that's been a lot of my work. Uh, I mean, more in a B2B sense of Engage, like, uh, I was responsible for building out, um, clusters for different um, types of, of users. Like, for example, I built out a consulting cluster for, you know, design software for consultants, uh, for learning and development professionals and testing. And it turned out, you know, learning development professionals uh, like retained a lot longer uh, than other types of users like students, obviously, but like, you know, other 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 types for some reason like they retained so you know i ended up building out that cluster um and that became a very strong cluster so so testing different areas and, and seeing what what resonates thankfully at my company like retention is not a thing you pay for your life insurance policy and then you know bob's your uncle but um you know i know for other companies that's a that's a big thing so um that's really been part of my my success and my journey is 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 just figuring out what what ultimately converts and what resonates that's great uh and i remember i think they they are still big on uh on localization but uh vengage did a great job when it comes to uh localization i mean i think the their biggest uh, according to hrs at least uh their biggest uh sources of of traffic uh was I can't remember exactly the the like which country, but I think it was like uh, Spanish uh, speaking countries. Uh, so they were doing a, a great job when it comes to localization. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, yeah, I mean, another thing they did really well was um, like link magnets. Um, so you know, the, as a company who could not afford to buy backlinks, which we all know is you know you can't do that, uh, but could not afford to buy them, like they created a lot of um, content, like statistics reports um, that attracted huge like DR backlinks. Um, it's a much easier in the marketing space, I know, to do these things, but. Um, I definitely learned about the power of, of content to uh, passively attract links. That's something we're we're testing again right now. Um, but and they also had great relationship networks um, with different link builders, and they were very very good at that. We we had guest posters who were constantly pitching, um, you know, relationships with other um, with other sites, and and that's like. A critical network i think once you have too much money sometimes you can just think you can throw a whole bunch of cash at buying a whole bunch of backlinks um and that's going to hurt your site so even if google doesn't figure it out like eventually like it, those links are not going to work the way you think they will um and i an seo once told me that your backlink profile should look like somebody created it while they were drunk um and uh i really agree with that like bad anchor text like random like the randomness is is okay and and that comes from like relationships uh not from from purchasing uh links
that's so. a that's a great uh, I don't know metaphor or uh, that I like that I like that. Um, anyway, yeah. that that's all. Uh, that yes. has been all very very insightful, <laughs> uh, Bronwyn. Thank you very much. Uh, last question I have for you: call to action for our listeners. Where can people find out more and get in touch uh, if they'd like to? Yep. Well, my company, if you're in Canada, www.policyme.com. Um, you can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Bronwyn Keenapple uh, in existence. So you'll be able to find me there and my oversharey uh, LinkedIn posts of which I'm committed to doing one a week. Um, so follow me on there, add me, connect with me. Please don't pitch me your like backlink services. Please, I love you, but please don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, one, once per week is fine. Once per week is fine. Uh, I think it's yeah. it's okay. It's a, it's a very good frequency. Anyway, uh, Bronwyn, thank you very much for being on the show. Really enjoyed this one. Many, many interesting nuggets. Uh, I think that we will find it difficult to find a preview for this episode because you said many great things. <laughs> uh, and who knows, uh, maybe we will do another episode uh, further down the line to, to discuss even more uh, uh, exciting things uh, from your journey. Thank you very much. That would be great. Yeah, this was wonderful. Thank you so much, George. I really enjoyed it. Thank you for staying with us until the end. Before you go, I'd like to give a quick shout out to the sponsor for this episode, Ahrefs. Ahrefs provides you with an all-in-one SEO toolset that does everything from rank tracking to backlink analysis, keyword research, and technical audits. The best part, you can now use Ahrefs Webmaster Tools for free to identify and prioritize optimization opportunities for your website, see all the keywords that your web pages are ranking for, take a close look at the websites that link back to and refer you in their content, and analyze other websites to find out what drives their rankings. Visit ahrefs.com awt and sign up for free. Another episode of the SaaS SEO Show has wrapped. We hope this episode has taught you something new too. We'd like you to connect with us so you can keep up with all the new content that we're creating. Before you go, it would mean the world to us if you could subscribe to this podcast and over at our YouTube channel where we upload the video version of this and every episode. Until next time.